0: If you have your Bibles, would you open them, please, to the Gospel of St. John. Gospel of St. John, Chapter 18. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad all the mules are gone. Amen. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Uh, Brother Stan, like he told you, uh, tonight my wife will be ministering, and uh, you don't want to miss that. I know she's going to bless you. On Wednesday nights, we're going to begin teaching on some really deep things in the Word of God. So if you want to learn the Bible uh, a little deeper, come on out, and, uh, and we'll get into some beautiful things, we pray by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And I thank Brother Stan for the, uh, for the honor and privilege of being able to, to minister. I told him happy birthday yesterday. He doesn't look a day over 50. Amen. Amen. He's looking better every day. We need to pray for our pastor. We need him around for another 20 years, man. <laughs> Hallelujah, at least. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, let's pray. Let, let, let's let's read the word first. John, are you there in John chapter 18? Hallelujah. Are you there? Amen. You can do a little better than Are you there? Yeah. Amen. Can you say amen? All right. You know I cut my teeth in the south, so I'm not used to not hearing amens. At least say, oh my, or something, you know, or sit down, or come on now. All righty. beginning with the first verse. Uh, <clears throat> when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Judas also, which betrayed him, he knew the place, for Jesus often resorted there with his disciples. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, he came there with lanterns, torches, weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, he went forth. He said unto them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Then he said unto them, I am. Notice in your King James Version, uh, if you have it, they have a little italics there with a little he. uh, But that's not there in the original language. If. For those of you new to the Bible, that what he was literally saying was he was God or is God. When God appeared to Jesus in the uh, uh, to Moses in the in the burning bush in the wilderness, uh, Moses asked him, "Who who do I say sent me?" He said, uh, "Tell him I am that I am." So God identified himself simply as I'm the self existing, always have been, always will be, never had beginning or end, I just am, hallelujah. So when they came looking for Jesus in the garden and he said, who do you seek? They were looking for a, a man, but he was God and is God. Who are you seeking this morning? Is your Jesus just a man? Or is he your God? Can we, like Thomas, say, my Lord, my God? Mm Mm-hmm, Okay. (laughs) Moving right along. So he says, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, was standing with them. And as soon as he said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell on the ground. My God. We'll get into a little bit of that in a moment. Then asked he them again, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, Of them which you have given me, I have lost not one of them. Praise God. Then Simon Peter, having a sword... He drew it, and he smote the high priest's servant. He cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink of it? I'd like to minister to you what I believe the Lord's put on my heart this morning taken from the 11th verse the cup which my father has given me shall I not drink it shall I not drink it Heavenly Father we thank you for your grace your mercy and your peace which we pray would be multiplied unto your people gathered here this morning and those listening around the world by way of the internet we ask for your presence to be upon thy word Holy Spirit help us to rightly divide the word of truth help us to lift up and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. We thank you the enemy is defeated, and we thank you for what you are doing, are yet to do, and what you have already done. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen and amen. John, later in in the 18th chapter there, he talks about the night that Jesus was betrayed, and he, he calls it a cold night. Can see that there in your uh, 18th verse. There, he said it was a cold night. This is an unusual thing because it wasn't just a, a weather forecast. It was, <laughs> it it was really a condition in the natural world of what was actually taking place in the spirit world. Because this was April now. This is like mid-April when this is happening in the Middle East, not up here in Bishop, because sometimes it can snow in, in April, but. But no, we're talking about the Middle East now. So for him to emphasize that it was cold is to give us an idea of what was taking place in the spirit, what was actually happening in the spirit. It had only been a few days before that Jesus had come into Jerusalem riding on a colt, on a little donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah's uh, Uh, A prophecy that said, Behold, O Israel, your king will come unto you lowly and humble, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. He had been ministering now for some three, three and a half years. He had shown forth the glory of the Father unlike any before him, for he was the, the beautiful son of the living God. John would say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Wherever he went, he would minister. And when he would minister, the presence of the Spirit was there in such abundance that the people would be absolutely caught up in his, in his, in his oratory. One time he, uh, he came down after ministering the Sermon on the Mount, and the Bible says the people said, uh, no man has ever spoke like him. He speaks like one having authority, not like the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and he would open blinded eyes. He would cleansed the leper. It was even rumored that he had uh, walked on the water. Everywhere he went, things were being shooken up. Everything that had been nothing but a religious exercise was now being confronted by the reality of the presence of God that had come to Israel, that had come to the whole world. And, And he ministered with such grace and beauty See, there was something about him that was so different than all the others because the Bible tells us that the religious leaders hated him, but the sinners loved him. Hmm? In Luke chapter 15, it says, All the publicans, all the sinners, would come to hear what he had to say. And when I hear those things, I think about how, how is it that we are not demonstrating that kind of flow in our ministries, that our churches are packed, not with just believers, but with the unbeliever desiring to hear what we have to say. Something must be missing. Hello. Jesus, wherever he would go, though, he went about doing good, the Bible says. John says that, I suppose, had all the things been written in books that he had done, that the entire world would not be able to contain the information. And though he had done so many miracles amongst them, they did not believe that he was the one that God would send. Because they loved their position. They loved their status. They loved who they were in society more than they loved God. But he sent in the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent Jesus, his only son. He comes into Jerusalem and the first thing he does is he goes into the temple. He looks around and this is the last time he will come as as the Messiah, as the Savior to them. The first thing he does is he goes up into the temple and and they had turned the temple into, into a religious Uh, a swap meet, if you will. The scripture that we're reading right now occurs during the time of the Passover. Jesus was our Passover lamb. Jerusalem was packed and teeming with thousands and thousands of people. There were so many people, and and, and there was a spirit of joy. That's why when you see the Lord coming into Jerusalem, uh, they begin to wave palm branches and begin to cry, Hosanna to the Son of David. They had heard of the great and the marvelous things that he had done. Some had witnessed. that. It even says that within the crowd were those that were there the day that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It had only been a few weeks before that. And the Bible says so wicked were the religious leaders that because Lazarus had been raised from the dead, so many people began to believe in Jesus that they decided they were not only going to try and kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. talking to you about a hellish, wicked, religious spirit that had, that had manifested itself over thousands of years. And he comes into Jerusalem, and he sees the temple. This magnificent structure had been turned into nothing more than a religious corporation. They were buying and selling and trading. The rabbis were selling their latest tape series. It's how old I am, tape series, right? I mean, CD, what is it, MP3 players and iPads and whatever. But it angered him because they had created these, these systems of commerce in order to milk God's people of their money. It had gotten so bad that just a few families presented themselves as, as the owners and the caretakers of the temple of God. And so they would weave their religiousness within it and their lust and their greed and their desire to control the house of God and in, in essence pushing out anything or anyone that might come with a message from God. That's why the Bible says that John the Baptist came out of the wilderness John's father was Zechariah. Zechariah was of the eighth course of the tribe of of Abijah. He was part of the Levitical priesthood. John had every right to be in the temple, serving as a priest, serving in, in the house of God. But God had to remove him from that position in order to depart into him a message that could be brought to his generation so that a people could be prepared for the Lord. What an indictment. That the Messiah was coming and yet this religious structure, this religious system and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests the whole bunch, none of them were selected by God to prepare a people for the Lord. For they could not. For they were religious and they knew not a relationship with God. It's like that today. He comes into the temple, he looks around, and what he does is he does what? He cleanses the temple. He tears down the money changers' huts. They had these huts where they would exchange money. They were so greedy. People came from all over, so they had different kinds of money, but they wouldn't accept their money. They had to pay a temple tax every time they came to offer a lamb. So they decided, we'll set up a system. We'll create our own money so we can get their money. And that's what they did. They would buy and sell doves, and they would sell lambs, by the millions, because a lamb was supposed to be spotless. Everyone was there to enjoy the Passover. They were going to sit down as families and have a feast. And, 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 but the lamb had to be spotless and pure, and it had to be inspected by the priests. So, what they did was they created their own lambs. And poor people who would bring their lambs, uh, the priest would look at it and say, Ah, this, this lamb ain't no good. You got to go over there and buy one of ours. Full of the devil. This was supposed to be a type of the sacrifice. God instituted the Passover as a type of the sacrifice of the coming Redeemer. And they turned it into merchandise. They turned it into money. They, They polluted the house of God. And the house of God is being polluted today. The house of God is filled with hucksters and, like Brother Tozer says, jingle bell boys who have no word from God, but who who take the money from the people and oppress the people and have no message from God. Oh, but I hear the sound. Hallelujah. Whether you understand it or not, a sound is sounding right now. And it's getting brighter and brighter. He's coming to his temple. Oh, I hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been. Can you hear? Why did he cleanse his temple? Because the Passover was supposed to speak of when Israel came out of bondage. And and God told Moses, you're going to have to select a lamb. You're going to have to slay the lamb. You're going to have to pour out the blood of the lamb. It's got to be a lamb that can be inspected and make sure there's no spot or blemish, speaking of the Lord. And he said, you'll pour the blood out. And you'll take hyssop, and you'll you'll dip it in the blood, and you'll come to your house, and you'll you'll hit the top of your house, and both sides of your house, at the entering in of your house, representing your your spirit, your soul, your body, and everybody that's on the inside. When I pass through Egypt, when I see the blood, Hallelujah, I will pass over you. That's what this was supposed to be about. And because they had to do the Passover back in Egypt because they were about to be let out, they didn't have time to put leaven in their bread. Leaven is a type of sin. That's what it represented. But he is our unleavened bread. What did he say at the Passover supper? He broke the bread and he gave it to them. Eat this, he said. This is my body, which shall be broken for you. It had no leaven. It was just like a flat tortilla. That's what that means. They didn't have time to rise. They didn't have time to do it. But, but they were commanded as the years would go on, as the Passover would be approaching, to clean the house. To clean their houses. To remove all leaven from their houses. And this would be a, a, a natural act of a spiritual truth. And when Jesus came into the temple, that's what he was doing, but they couldn't see it. He was cleaning the house of the leaven. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. My goodness. He was cleaning his house of the leaven. What does that got to do with me, Brother Marty? Everything. He's beginning to clean the house of the leaven. He's coming for a glorious church. Without what? Without spot. Without blemish. Oh, that I might be what? A living sacrifice Hallelujah. What does that mean? What was the apostle Paul saying? A living sacrifices were killed. Huh? He says we need to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? We need to have no spot, no blemish all the time. And and so he he, he, he says you must clean your houses of the leaven. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he begins to clean the house of the leaven. He begins to tear down their systems. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. As our sister taught so beautifully on Wednesday night. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right now, I need to slow down here. Listen. (laughs) The fire of the Spirit of God is already descending. And, And judgment is coming upon this nation. The judgment is coming... Not because the world is the world. Because they've always been that way. We used to be out there with them. (laughs) I did. But judgment is coming because of the leaven that's in the church in this country. God destroyed his people. God destroyed his temple. In the days of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, he brought down the whole thing because his people had so, if you know your Bibles, go ahead and read it later. But if you know your Bibles, he waited hundreds of years pleading with them and pleading with them, sending prophets and warning them and warning them. But they could not hear God's people now, not the world. It says that they began to love the world and reach out for the world and began to create themselves idle on every hill. They would offer their children to demon gods. Oh, that's awful, Brother Marty. Yes, it is. But how many families so-called in the Christian church today are offering their children to demon gods? What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, God, help me. Mm -hmm. What do you let them see? What do you expose them to? What do they see in your homes? What do they see coming out over your television sets? What do they see you do? What about the 55 million children that have been aborted in their mother's womb since 1973? You think all those women were of the world? Uh Uh-huh. My Lord. My Lord 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 see I felt resistance this morning when I was seeking God for you this morning but don't forget this is going out all over the world so what you're hearing today will be broadcast all over the world so we are also fighting spirits that are yet to hear okay so just pray because you're part of something That's going out everywhere. Don't just think because you're sitting here in this little church things ain't happening. Huh? Uh Huh? 55 million children in this country alone have been aborted in their mother's wombs. No sanctity, no safety, no place. They've offered it. They've offered their children to a demon spirit. What is wrong with a society that has gone so absolutely mad and crazy that even the sanctity of the beauty of a child is not safe in its mother's womb? It's so reflective of the, of the, of the, of the hate we have for ourselves that we would kill our own offspring. That's where demon powers come. That's where they bring you to. That's what they do with a nation. That's what they did with Israel. They were offering offerings on every high hill, on every corner. They'd go and take their children and offer them to Moloch and Ashtaroth and Baal and all the heathenistic gods. They would beat the drums in the nighttime, as, as it says in the book of uh, Second Chron- Second, 2 Chronicles, uh, Chronicles chapter 28. The king Ahaz would go down into the valley of Hinnom. Hinnom is another name for Gehenna or hell. That's where the devil will take you. God's king. And he led his nation that way. And they steeped into gross idolatry of a horrific nature. And in the nighttime, he would take his children and go down there. You can read it in 2 Chronicles 28. And the drums would beat in order that they might drown out the screams of the children as they threw them on the arms of a brass god known as Moloch who was heated up with the flames. His arms would get red hot like, like, you know, like when you see brass heated up, it would turn like a red goldish, like that lava you see in Hawaii that's going on. It'd get like that. And they would offer their children on the arm and the screams out to God. The children would cry out to God. Abel's blood cries from the ground, the Bible says. Who are we in this country? That we think we could live like the devil, act like the devil, talk like the devil, walk like the devil, dress like the devil, and then come to God's house and lift hands to him? Are you crazy? Jesus came and cleansed his house. He, he's coming to remove all the leaven. He's coming to take away all the leaven. Why? That he might have a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. Israel, God had to judge this, this heathenistic, disgusting spirit that had come into them because they had gotten so bad, as I already described, that they could yet come into the house of God without conscience. He says it, Let me, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down if you're taking notes. In Ezekiel, he talks about the society and what had happened, what Ahaz had done. He had gone into the temple. And he had painted uh, the men of Babylon in there, all flexing their muscles. But he painted them in the walls of the temple of God. And when the women would come in, they would look at these magnificent paintings of these demonic people in Babylon. And the Bible says here they began to lust for them. And because of that feeling they had in the house of God, it says that messengers went and brought them to Jerusalem. Handsome men riding horses. He goes on to describe how they looked at them. And they would take the women, the holy women. That were supposed to be like Sarah of old who weren't concerned with the outward plating and adorning of their hair or the the apparel. They They were modest and discreet, but they had a glory of God on their faces. But these were God's women, and now they were lusting and desiring that which is of the world being carried away with a spirit of a sensual nature that was bringing them to a place where they were absolutely overcome with demonic power. God, help me. <laughs> My Lord. God's people. God's people. You just have to turn TV on today, Christian TV, so-called. Can't tell the difference between the sister and, 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 and Beyonce. <laughs> like I said, the first time I got here, the, the, the preachers now... They all wear those tight black uh, V-neck T-shirts and tight jeans with tears in their knees and hair all spiked, little earrings, tattoos. You don't like tattoos? No, I don't like tattoos. Well, I got tattoos. Well, that's okay. It's fine. You already got them. Get saved. It's okay. It's under the blood. I'm talking about preachers now, national, international preachers. They show up and they 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 they, they read a poem. They 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 read a sentence out of the Bible and they tell you everything's gonna be all right. They sing songs that never mention Jesus. The people sit in darkness because they've made their churches black and dark. They they cover the the stage with laser lights and smoke. What are we doing? Borrowing from the world and from the nightclubs. Bring it into the house of God. Don't tell me we're not about to experience judgment. Do you have eyes to see? Do we have ears to hear? He said, I have to destroy this temple. America doesn't think it can be destroyed. I take no pleasure talking to you like this this morning. But something is overcoming me. Every time I get up, four, three o'clock in the morning, I've been spending hours on my face before God. I've been crying out to him, and I open the word, and I say, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? And he keeps showing me judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Get my people ready. Warn my people. Tell them I'm coming. Tell them to get rid of the leaven. Tell them to make themselves ready. Tell them that I'm coming. The time is running out. Time is running out. Time is running out. And he said, look at, look at, and then it, look what it says here. Uh, I'll read it to you. It says uh, in chapter 23, and the Babylonians came to her, into her bed of love. Uh, Ezekiel 23 uh, Verse 17, it says, the Babylonians came to her in their bed of love, and and they defiled her with her whoredoms. And she was polluted with them, and her mind was alienated from them. What does that mean? God was saying that they, they gave themselves over. These are God's people now. Don't forget, these are God's people. This is what's happening in the modern church today. They would sleep with these Babylonian men. Babylon is the oldest, darkest, demented, demonic nation that ever was. That's how bad it had gotten. That they were lusting for that. It went over from just being simple material things into the sensual, into the devilish, into the darkness of the spirit realm. And they were giving themselves to it in the natural, but yet it was portraying a type of what was really going on in their minds and in their hearts. And then it says, when the Babylonian men left the women, it says that their minds were alienated from them. And what that means in the word of God, and when you break it down in the Hebrew, it means that that God could not even send a prophet to them to convict them from their sin, that they would engage in their sin and had reached the point where nobody could reach them. My Lord, he goes on to say, It says that, uh, In verse 37, it says, they committed adultery and blood was on their hands with their idols. They have committed adultery and they have caused their sons whom they bore unto me to pass for them through the fire to devour them. Well, who do these women represent today, Brother Mark? They represent the churches of today that are so compromised. Oh, if God could peel back our eyes, if we could see in the spirit, it would be horrible to look at. That's what he did with Ezekiel. He took him and he showed him. He showed him. He showed him one time where he says, I sat astonished and I couldn't even talk. God's people. Who had been delivered with a mighty hand by, 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 the, by the hand of God through Moses out of Egypt. Who had been given the, the word of God. Who had seen his, his cloud in the middle of the day and his pillar of fire by night. Who heard the sound of the trumpet blast as the cloud of God came down on Sinai. God's people. And it says they would offer their children, their sons to demonic power. And then it says, moreover in verse 38, this they have done unto me. Unto me. They've done this unto me. I can hear him like. Like blown away like our father just absolutely blown away. They've done this to me. A people that was in slavery. A people that was in bondage who I reached down and split the Red Sea for. A people that I brought into a land which I swore unto their fathers to give them. A land flowing with milk and honey. A people who didn't even have to fight because my presence was so strong on them. I drove every enemy out from among their faith. I gave them a land which they didn't toil for, houses that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant. I gave all this to them, and they do this? They do it to me. He told Samuel, "Uh, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And he says, says, uh, they make him to pass through the fire. And then he says, and moreover, this they have done to me. They have defiled my sanctuary in the same day. They have profaned my Sabbath. For when they had slain their children to their idols, then they came up the same day into my temple to profane it, and and to thus have they done in the midst of my house. (laughs) In the morning... They go offer their kids on the fires to demon gods. In the the afternoon, they come to God's house and sing songs and act like everything's cool. He says, they've defiled my house. And so he destroyed the temple. And he took them captive into Babylon. What was he saying by that? (laughs) Number one, he had told Solomon and David, I'm going to put my eyes on Jerusalem and this place, this house which you've built for me always. But so disgusting had his people acted and treated him and engaged in demonic powers, worshiping the devil and coming into the house of God. He said, I've got to remove them from out of my sight. But because they're so consumed with with devils, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring the Assyrians, and I'm going to bring the Babylonians, the most ungodly people, the most demon-possessed people whose gods they worship, and I'm now going to let them come and take them captive. You want to worship the devil? I'm sending him to you. That my house, Jesus said, may be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. It was the same people, the same children that he had to banish to Babylon are now in control as the Lord enters Jerusalem. God comes to his people. And they don't know it. Their ancestors who had worshipped demon gods, were banished for 70 years. But they, who had become religious devils, who he would say of them, your father is not Abraham. Your father is the devil. And he said, he judged their ancestors for 70 years, but they didn't know it. They were now rejecting God. They weren't rejecting Isaiah. They weren't rejecting Jeremiah. They weren't rejecting Ezekiel and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah and Haggai and Habakkuk or Zechariah. They weren't rejecting them. They were rejecting I am. Who do you seek? My God. My Lord. God help us. God help us. He cleanses the temple. And then he begins to teach. He's cleansing his temple right now. He wants to cleanse his temple. In the book of Revelation, he would say, come out from among her. Touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. The first message the Lord had me preach preach here three weeks ago was on the dedication the cleansing of the temple, the destroying of the temple, and the reconsecrating of the temple. He destroyed that generation for 70 years and brought them back. But this generation, he said, <laughs> within a few days, he told the disciples. And when they walked out, when he said to them, and, re- and, and he went away, and he said, You will not see me here again until you cry, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And then he goes out, and the disciples are looking at this magnificent temple that they were in. With huge columns and marble floors and gold everywhere and priests all dressed in white. Oh, it looked good on the outside. Jesus said, you know what though? You're like whited graves. You're like whited sepulchers. You're all clean and shiny on the outside. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and all sorts of corruption. And they told him, isn't this beautiful? He says, you know what? I tell you the truth, there will not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And instead of 70 years, in the year 70 A.D., they indeed destroyed the temple. And they drove the Jewish people from their homeland for 2,000 years. Not 70, but 2,000 years. And so, he cleanses the temple, he leaves the temple, and the Passover is upon them, and he sends his disciples ahead. When it came time to eat the Passover, that night, the night we just read about. And he says, he tells Peter and John, go prepare. Remember the word? It says, go prepare for the Passover. Well, what were they doing, Brother Marty? Well, if you remember, if you read in John chapter 11, he came six days before the Passover and was hanging out with Martha and Mary and Lazarus in their house. He would be dead within seven days, but that's where he was staying. Their house was only about two miles away from Jerusalem, and so he tells them, go prepare. So they left sometime earlier in the day. It's about two mile walk, and they go down into the the city, and, and, and they had to inspect and buy a lamb so they could share it with the Lord that night in Jerusalem. They didn't know. That while they were selecting a lamb and he sent them to get the lamb for the Passover, that really he was about to be their Passover. And they would select that lamb. And what he meant by preparing was they had to, everybody had to do this. Jerusalem was filled with millions of people, hundreds of thousands at least. They were required to come to Jerusalem three times a year, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so here they were. And if you were to come upon Jerusalem, it's built on a city of hills. And and the temple sits on Mount Moriah. King David's old palace is over here on Mount Zion. Mount Olives is right here where Jesus left to go and where the Garden of Gethsemane was. And he sends them to go ahead of him. He's already cleansed the temple. He's kicked the money changers out. He's fulfilling the type. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's God. Hallelujah. And they can't see it. And he goes, and, and they go and they get a lamb. And they, they have to take the lamb up to the temple. They come over the Mount of Olives and you could see Jerusalem. And on every hill you would see tents from all the travelers that had come from Dan to Beersheba. From, from 50, 60, 70 miles away. You would hear the sound of singing. You could smell the food as they were cooking their lunches you hear the sound of children, happy and playing. They're there in Jerusalem. And here come the two disciples to go get ready the Passover. Jesus hasn't come yet. And in the temple, people are gathering by the thousands. It's a massive place. If you've ever seen the the, the Vatican, it it put the Vatican to shame. It was huge. It was magnificent. That's why the apostles told Jesus, check this out. But how are you going to impress him who made the heavens and the earth? Come on, somebody. (laughs) My Lord. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things were made by him, whether they are visible or invisible, whether they be things in heaven, things in earth, or things under the earth, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In order to prepare for the Passover, they were required to pick out a spotless lamb that they could eat at the Passover dinner later that night, and they would come into the temple. They would cross over the royal bridge. This bridge had columns that stood 225 feet off the valley. It was wide. It was about 50, 55 feet wide, and this is where all the worshipers would come. And if you could see it, if you were amongst them, it would be you and and your son, because the men had to go... And they would take their sons or their, their uncles and brothers would come. And all of them, if you could see it, all of them, hundreds of them, thousands of them had lambs wrapped around their shoulders. They were carrying the lamb. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Hundreds of them, hundreds of them being brought from the morning till the setting of the sun. And here comes Peter and John and they're making their way into the temple. And they come into the temple and they go into Solomon's porch, this magnificent place. The the pillars were 50 feet high. The stones of the temple, some of them were 40, 50 feet wide, 20 feet thick, 100 tons. They cross over the valley of Typhonion, they called it. And and there the brook Kidron was. And in the distance, you could see the Mount of Olives. And they're carrying their lamb to get their chance to present it to the priest. But it's packed because it's Passover night. And they, they come into Solomon's porch. It was huge. And from there, they go into the court of the Gentiles. Massive place. And they cross over there with their lambs, making their way. Everybody having their turn to get up closer. They cross into the court of the women. And there, as they come into the court of the women, the court of the women had a balcony that, that would go around like a like a U. That's where the women would hang out, when the men would be in the court praising. So up there were were women, their wives, their daughters, their aunts, as they watched their men carrying lambs into the house of God. Father, son, boyfriend, what do your women see you carrying? carry the things of the world into your house or do you bring a lamb do you bring the king from there they'd step up 15 steps if you read it in the book of Acts that's where the man who was laid by the gate beautiful they called it the gate beautiful because because it was beautiful it was made out of Corinthian uh, 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 brass and just beautiful and decorated and it would take 20 priests to open it they were so huge Huge, and into that they would come with their lamp, and they would take them uh, ten at a time, ten people at a time, and 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 all the other people had to wait out there in Solomon's porch, and they would take ten people at a time in three groups, and they would finally make their way there, and when they they would come out of the court of the women up the fifteen steps into what they call the court of the priests, because that's where the priests were, and as they got closer. I thought about this yesterday when Brother Sean was cooking up them hamburgers. Uh, as they got closer to the, to, to, to the court of the priest, there in just a little bit of a distance was a huge, huge altar known as the Brazen Altar. Because you see, you had to bring your lamb. And when you came up the 15 steps, you would present it to the priest. And the priest would look at the lamb and say, It's okay. And he'd count 10 people and they'd go in. And now they're in there, it's their turn. And they wait with their lambs on their shoulders, and the sound of the, of the flesh that's being offered on the brazen altar. See, Jesus was totally consumed because of our sin. They could hear it, the fragrance of the sweet-smelling savour of the fat and the entrails being burnt and consumed on the altar. They would hand the, the lamb to a priest at the door as they came into the court. And they'd hand one to here, and, and one would hand one over here, and. And then there was a line, two lines, that stretched probably for about 100 feet of priests, all in white. Beautiful. But at the the base of their garments, their garments down by their feet were stained with blood. Because they had been killing lambs all day long. And they didn't know it, but the lamb was just two miles away and he was on his way to Jerusalem. They would never have to kill a lamb again if they didn't want to. He would inspect the lamb, and then they would take the lamb. Peter and John gave them the lamb. I don't know. But maybe the spirit of God reminded John at that moment, maybe he could hear the voice of the Baptist echoing in his ears who three and a half years before had said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world as he's handing the lamb. Maybe he got a revelation. And they took the lamb and and they they would have these priests for like 100 feet on both sides, all clothed in white, except for down here, covered in blood. And they would slay the lamb. They would pronounce their sin upon it. They would slay the lamb and the blood would pour out. And there would be a priest at the end of the line that would catch the blood in a silver vessel. And on this side, in a golden vessel, bowls. What does that represent, Brother Marty? Silver always represents redemption. It was the price of the betrayal. Judas covenanted for 30 pieces of silver. He would become our redemption. And, and the gold represents God, divinity. Gold is the most precious of metals. You, you can burn it when it's purified, and, and it might liquefy, but, but there ain't no impurities that come out, out, out of it. Jesus, it represented our Redeemer, who was God. And they would pour the blood in the golden vessel and in the silver vessel. And then they'd hand it to the next priest, hand it to the next priest, hand it to the next priest. These two bulls making their way up the line until they got to the chief priests who were offering offerings on the burnt, uh, a brazen altar. And they would take the blood and they would pour it out at the foot of the brazen altar. What does this represent, Brother Marty? At the foot of the brazen altar meant that God would come down to the earth. And pour out his blood and would be lifted up on a cross like that brazen labor was up, a brazen altar was up here. He would be lifted up. He said, "If I be lifted up, I must draw all men to me." And they're doing this. You could hear the sound of sheep crying. Our lamb cried in the garden. Then they take it, they kill it, they pour out its blood into the basins, and they pour out the blood at the base of the altar. Jesus completely poured out his blood for us, for you, for me, for a whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But he talked about those who did not love the light will not come to the light because they love darkness and their deeds are evil and they don't want God's shining light to expose the sin in their heart. But to as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God, to become the sons of God. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. And After pouring the blood out, then they would take a knife and they would they would cut it. I was talking to Brother Marvin, I think his name was. Yes, Marvin? Brother Hess's brother? Oh, Mervin. Mervin. Well, sorry, Brother Marvin. <laughs> I was talking to Brother Mervin yesterday. And he was telling me about how he went deer hunting and stuff and how, you know, how they have to dress it and all that. They did the same with the lamb. They would slice it after it had poured out its bloods and they would take the insides out of it. See, what it cost our Savior was everything. It represents him, his heart, his very innards. How am I compelled to do thy will, O Lord, he would say. From the inside, they would take that out. Because you see, they needed to eat the lamb, right? They had to take it back to the Passover. So they had to leave something for an offering. So they took literally the interior part of the lamb. See, that's what Jesus offered to God in the heavenlies. His very spirit. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And they would take those innards out and they would pour water on them and wash them and salt them. And then put them on the on the cross, so to speak. On the altar, flames of fire would come up. What does that represent? His whole offering. Everything about him was poured out. And the water represents the spirit of God. This was the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all paid the price. When I hear, when he says, it is finished, and I've heard preachers all over the place get everybody shouting, and yeah, the, the veil rent in the temple, now you can go in there and ask him for a Cadillac and a nice house and give me a break. It's because they're ignorant of Jewish custom. The veil that covered the way into the Holy of Holies, when Jesus said it is as finished, it said it ripped from the top to the bottom If you read the Levitical law, it represents when a father loses his only son, he rips his garments from the top to the bottom as a sign of absolute anguish. Coming into the Holy of Holies paid a price that ripped the father's heart out. That cost the son everything, and the spirit helped him do it. The water, the insides, and then they would take the lamb back. By this time, Jesus, I'm hurrying, Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives. This takes a while, as you can imagine. That's why he sent them ahead. With all those thousands of people, they didn't just get to the front of the line. It took a while to get there. They had to do it before the sun went down. But now the sun's coming down. Jesus is on his way. Remember I told you they took took people in groups of (laughs) ten? Well, there's two disciples who he sent ahead, right? But here comes the real lamb. And who's with him? How many disciples are left? Ten. They're bringing their lamb to Jerusalem, and they don't even know it. And We know the rest of the story. He gets up there, and how they, how they, you know how they cook the lamb? They would take a, a piece of wood, and they would stick it all the way through it, and then roast it over the fire, But they had to be careful that they couldn't break any of its bones, that it might be a type of the fulfillment where they wouldn't break any of the legs of the Lord on the cross. They put that lamb, consumed lamb, on a a piece of wood. Jesus would be hung on a piece of wood. And they stuck it through the lamb. This price he paid went all the way through him. Spirit, soul, and body. Unblemished, perfect. Supper's ended. He's washed their feet. He's he's told them he's going to die, but they can't really understand it. He's he's prophesied that Judas is going to betray him. John's overcome. If you read it, it says John was like resting his head on on the heart of Jesus. The spirit of God was so heavy. It it prefigured the type of when Abraham would, would cut covenant with God and and it says in Genesis chapter 15 that, that God would come out of the sky and Abraham had to offer a, a, his offering, his sacrifice, the ram and the bullocks and, and split the pieces. And, and, and it says that the birds would come down and he had to fight them off. That's a that's a type of Gethsemane because that's where Jesus was heading. He was heading to Gethsemane after dinner. And, and, and it was there that he would pray with such a prayer that we have never known. The words aren't even recorded. They're too Holy. The only thing we know is that he says, let this cup pass from me if it's possible. What cup was he talking about? They drank four cups at the Passover. Four cups. And the final cup, Jesus was about to drink in Gethsemane. And when they leave, remember what he said? This is my blood, which shall be given for you a new covenant. Hallelujah. But he had yet to drink of the cup. That's what it meant. Father, he tells Peter, put up your sword. Shall I not drink of the cup? He's trying to jar his mind. We just did an incredibly spiritual thing in Jerusalem. He leads them out. They come to the Garden of Eden. When the sacrifice would be offered in the temple as the lamb was being presented, after it would be offered, the priest would go into the holy place And he would offer incense. And then he would would light the candles of the menorah to give light to the house inside. No natural light is in there. But it couldn't be offered until the lamb had been selected and the lamb had, had died. In essence, Jesus had already died. He had already said, I'm headed to do my Father's will. So in type he had already died. But yet he had to agonize. Because why? Because the altar of incense represents prayer and intercession. He was fulfilling what they did in the temple. He goes into the garden after he's already partaken of the Passover lamb and he begins to light the altar of incense as he agonizes in the garden of Gethsemane. My God. He comes and And he finds Peter, James, and John asleep. They were overcome. He said, your spirit is willing, but but your flesh can't handle it. That's why when we get into heavy anointings and heavy moves of God, and they're coming. Those whose flesh uh, aren't right with God, who haven't truly grown up, who haven't trained themselves and exercised themselves in the things of the spirit. They won't be able to abide this kind of thing that's coming. We're all going to be led to Gethsemane. He led his disciples to Gethsemane. The place of pressing, the place where things are crushed. They, in order for them to be crushed, the oil, uh, the, 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 the olives grew in Gethsemane, and that's where they got the anointing oil for the temple that would light the lamps. But the, the olives would have to be crushed and pulverized in order to bring out the beautiful anointing oil. He led his disciples there because he was saying there's coming a time when you too will have to come here and I will crush you. I will bring you down. But out of your life will come a beautiful fragrance and an anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We want the praise without the pain. My Lord. And. And so as the lamb, he's settled that. But, but also, remember, it says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He began to shed his blood first. Then he's praying. The altar of incense is lit. And then comes the lighting of the menorah. What does that represent, brother? <laughs> it represents that the price he was about to pay was going to give light to the whole world and cause a new church, a new body to be born. So he, he says to Peter, I know something's going on. Check this out. We'll close right now. He says, he says to Peter, well, check this out. He, the priest would light the, 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 the candles or the, or the menorah after the, the altar of incense. But isn't it interesting that Judas shows up with lanterns and torches after Jesus is lighting the altar of incense? Can you hear what I'm telling you? Because it's after the lighting of the altar of incense that the, that the lamps are lit. Jesus is lighting the altar of incense in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then here comes wickedness with torches and lights afterwards. It's a picture of demonic power mocking him. In his face. With the, imbi- the devil is in Judas. Not a devil, but Satan himself. It says after he ate that bread, that the devil, Satan, entered in him. Satan is in the garden with Jesus. And don't you think you're going to press through to the anointing without having any opposition? It's a struggle. That's what's so tragic about this modern day compromised church. It presents a gospel that has no pain. It presents a cross that's empty. There's no nails for you to nail yourself to. Oh, Brother Mar, you're preaching way too hard. Good. I'm trying to save your life. I'm trying to preach to myself and save my life. Jesus is coming. The King of glory, the Lord of lords, the fairest of ten thousands, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the great I am. He that was, that is, and is to come. And I'm going to stand before him whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose hair is white as snow. From out of his mouth goes the sharp two-edged sword. He's girded up and down with a white linen robe. His paps are girded around with gold. His feet are like fine brass in the fire. That's who we're going to meet. And the blessed uh, uh, Apostle John meets him in the book of Revelation and falls flat dead. It was just a few weeks before he's got his head on on his breast. But this Jesus, this Jesus, he's no longer a lamb. He's no longer got to pay the price. No, he's the Lord of glory. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the Redeemer. Hallelujah. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And upon him shall the government of God be. This is who you're going to meet. This is who I pray I'm going to meet. Peter, there's so much intensity in the garden. Peter tries to prevent it. (laughs) See, I, I I just can't picture these little, you know, boutique boys that we have on TV nowadays. I just can't picture them in the garden of Gethsemane. But Peter, he was a man. God chose men. I said, God chose men. Not 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 gender-confused people, but men. Oh, you don't want to hear what I'm telling you. You don't want to hear it. Peter pulls out a sword. My God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there's all these soldiers. There's Judas. The air is filled with evil. It's cold, John says. He pulls out a sword and tries to go to battle. But Jesus says, no, that judgment is yet to come. Put up your sword. I still have a cup to drink. Hallelujah. Thank God for his grace. Thank God. We serve a wonderful Savior. (laughs) How's that song go, Sister Gretchen? You probably remember too. Uh, Oh, what a foretaste. Of glory divine. Yeah. Blessed assurance. King Jesus is mine. Hallelujah. What? Oh, what a foretaste taste of glory divine. Hallelujah. How an heir are you of salvation? Purchased. Of God, born of Spirit, what, 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 what? Washed in His blood. And what? This is my story. This is, hallelujah, my song, praising my Savior. What's the next line? My story. This is my song. Praising my saviour all the day long. Hallelujah. Put him in a tomb. Let's close with this. I'll close with this. I turn over to John chapter uh, 19 to your right or to your left? To your left. I don't know. To my right. Pages go to the left. All right. Are you there? John 19. A beautiful thing happens. As we talked about the lamb in verse 36, he says, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, that a bone of him should not be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, he besought Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus. My God. And Pilate gave him leave, and he came there, and he took the body of Jesus. And and, and and there came also with him Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. And they brought a mixture of myrrh, of aloes, and a hundred pound of weight. They took, they, the body of Jesus. They wound it in the linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews was. Turn over to Psalm 45. See, because they put myrrh and aloe and cassia, that's what they did, on him. And they left him there. We'll close with this, Psalm 45. They left him there. And, and, you know, they thought that basically was the end. I wrote down these things a few days ago. It's it's amazing. I'm just going to share it with you real quick. If I can find it, if not, we will just let's see now. Come on now, where are you? There it is. Myrrh. They 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 wrapped him in in myrrh, and uh, and myrrh is is what he was given when he was a little boy. Remember, the kings came and brought that, already anticipating what he was going to be. <coughs> A study which we'll probably do on Wednesday nights, we'll get into stuff like this. He was anointed four times actually, five. First time was in, I believe it was uh, uh, Luke chapter 7, where a woman comes in and pours out a precious, wipes it with her tears and all that, you know, dries him with her hair, his feet. And then the next time is when he comes into Bethany just before the, on the first day of Nisan, just before the giving of the Passover, six days before. And, and it's, 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 it's Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus's sister, who anoints him. And a fragrance fills the whole house. Hmm? And then two days later, in the same city, Simon the leper, he wasn't a leper no more, Mary came again and anointed him again and poured it on his head. That's three anointings. But the fourth anointing, he didn't have any control over. But you see, representatives, because of God's grace of the nation of Israel, the priesthood Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and took his body and they brought myrrh aloes and cassia and spices and they wrapped him in it and they put him that, that was his fourth anointing and they went away but we know what happened right three days later because yeah. if it didn't happen <laughs> what are we doing here man right. <laughs> I would have been down there with you at Yule Days my God <laughs> but it happened <laughs> so, so it's changing my life my God Hallelujah. It's changed my life. Hallelujah. I want to be all of his, not just some of his, all of his. I want to be so lost in him. That's what I'm asking him every day, that I can be alone with him and ask him to confess, you know, God, I don't like this about me. I don't like this about me. Oh, I feel that, Holy Spirit. Yes, that's true. It's about me. You know, Take it from me. Oh, I know it might hurt, but take it from me. Because I want to be filled with your spirit. I don't want any corner of my house to have any leaven in it. No, I, don't, I don't want your temple to be to be compromised. I want there to be a difference between the profane and and and, and the clean and between the unholy and the holy. I want, I want them to see the light of God on my face, on your faces. They anointed his body. And then Psalm 45 ends with this. The, the David in the spirit was carried by by the Lord. And he says this, he says in Psalm 45, verse 6, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, speaking of the father, hath what? Anointed thee with what? The oil of gladness. That's the fifth anointing. But listen to what it says. All your garments, hallelujah, smell like myrrh and aloes and cassia. And, and we'll get into this on Wednesday night, but, but why does his garment smell like myrrh and aloes and cassia? Because Joseph and Nicodemus had anointed him for his burial, but he didn't stay that way. This is talking about when he gets up into heaven and presents himself to God. And when he enters heaven, he smells fresh from the tomb, only he's not dead. He's God, and God, the Father's looking at Jesus. He says to the angels, look, here he comes. He says, thy throne, oh God, hallelujah. Thy throne is forever and ever. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying? My God, he's God. He's God. Somebody praise him in the house tonight. He's God. And there is no other. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Glory to God hallelujah to the Lamb. Can you play? Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Sean, would you come here, Brother Sean? Hallelujah. I want you to be led of the Spirit. I want you to pray for these people, okay? I want you to spend some time with the Lord today. Before you leave, examine our hearts. Spend some time with the Lord. I know I've talked to you about some things that seem way impossible, but you got to start somewhere. We were talking about this yesterday. You don't run a marathon, you put on your tennis shoes and go out and run it. you got to train for that kind of running. Well, the kind of spirituality we're talking about today, it requires training, but he's coming, so you better get to it. He loves you. He is your lamb take some time ask him into your life amen praise the lord amen praise God amen let's just praise him you know give God the glory
1: your life is mine. everything he Without him you are nothing. And this is the place you need to be tonight. Right now, make it a prayer in your heart that Jesus is everything. Amen. For me.
0: Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. My, 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 my. He is Lord. He is Lord. Muhammad is not Lord. Buddha is not Lord. There's only one King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: Bye